Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast, episode 53. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Joining us today is our very own Alyssa Silva from Cumberland, Rhode Island. Alyssa is a columnist and forums moderator here at SMA News Today, and you can read her bi-weekly column, Life One Cup at a Time, on our main website. She's also the founder of the nonprofit organization Working on Walking, and she is a 29-year-old with SMA Type 1. Alyssa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I think this will be really fun. I mean, um, this kind of put helps p- listeners out there put a voice to, you know, the people who they read all the time and interact with on the forums. So this will be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. So we're just going to kind of talk about, and I know a lot of this is stuff you write about, but I think I just want to kind of like dig a little deeper and kind of hear more of your story and, and, you know, what you're doing now and all the, and how you got set up with SMA News today, all these things. So uh, this will be a lot of fun. So to start off, Alyssa, tell us just about your background. Uh, you know, when were you diagnosed with SMA? And what was it like for you growing up with a disability? So I was diagnosed with SMA in April of 1991. I was just shy of turning six months old. And back then, obviously, times were really different than they are today. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of resources or people who were experienced with SMA to rely on to kind of help us navigate through the waters of SMA. But I mean, I'd say we managed growing up with SMA isn't easy. I mean, it's manageable, but it was challenging at times for my parents. I, I was actually just talking about this with my mom recently because I have a terrible memory but so I don't remember much of like growing up but she always tells me how she really just tried to treat normalcy so to speak in my daily life she wanted to make sure I was included in my daily activities whether it was going to school or you know hanging out with friends or kids in the neighborhood, and she really tried to overcompensate for what I lacked by just helping me to act like a normal kid in spite of SMA. Sure, sure. Well, and I know, too, it's like, you know, today, the whole SMA types are a little more obsolete just because, you know, with treatments about and everything, it's like becoming a little, like, you know, less important to really categorize us in that manner. But, you know, back when we were kids, like, types were a big deal. And it was pretty unheard of for anyone with type 1 to really be living, you know, at all a long life. And so, you know, was there, I, I guess, I mean, you know, phrase that, you know, like, I guess it's just like, you know, were your parents just really adamant about, you know, giving you the best life and also getting you what, I know their resources were limited, but getting you any kind of medical resources to help you stay healthy? Yes. So when I was diagnosed, I think my diagnosis was something like two sentences in a textbook in my doctor's office. Like there was really nothing out there. And the doctor actually came to my house to deliver the news in person. And he said that I wouldn't live past the age of two because I had type one. So... My parents, I was just shy of turning six months old, so 
my parents actually threw me a birthday party at six months of age thinking she'll never live to see a birthday. So let's throw her a party and celebrate the life we have with her now before it's too late. And then, obviously, that isn't the case. I'm <laughs> 30 years old, but it was just, my parents really just kind of went at it blindly. I'm not really sure how they discovered doctors and all that stuff, but really they they asked my um, physician, like, what is there that we can do? And he said nothing. He said there really isn't anything that's going to help your daughter just love her and enjoy the time you have with her, and that's it. Right. Yeah, and it's a, and I think that's the case for a lot of us back then, and then you know, I think doctors turned out to be quite surprised too for, you know, at least with the case of many of us. So Yeah. And I, I know too, Alyssa, you also have an older brother who does not have SMA. Um, and I, it's something you've written about a lot. Can you talk about that relationship too? And like what that was like having a sibling relationship growing up? I mean, so his name is Adam. So yeah. Adam and I, I think our sibling dynamic is much different than the average sibling's Adam. Really, just Adam cares about me way too much. <laughs> all the time, he was almost like a, a second father to me. He really dedicated his life to, he still does, to taking care of me and making sure my needs are met. But also, just because, of course, like having SMA, he doesn't want to essentially baby me. He wants to take care of me and stuff, but he also wants to treat me like. A sister. So yeah. he always just, you know, he still laughs on me to this day. He makes fun of me all the time. And, <laughs> you know, the typical brother, but there's that added element of care, I guess, that has really bonded us in a special way. Like, for example, he, he moved out maybe like five years ago. He has a wife and kids now, but he moved down the street so that he could still be able to help out whenever we need him. That's just, that's the type of guy he is. That's really awesome. And it, it's cool to see that because I, it, that's one of the things I'm always fascinated by is, you know, I have two older siblings very much like that as well. And, you know, it, and it's really fascinating to see the differences that like, I mean, how sibling relationships are impacted by SMA in one way or another, you know, and in many ways, they're just normal sibling relationships, you know, and um, but it's really cool you have that, so that's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, at the same time, I recognize that not everyone is fortunate enough to have a sibling like Adam, so sure. I am very grateful for that, because I'm sure growing up, almost living in the shadow of a disabled sister wasn't easy for him at times, but he never, ever showed it, and he always just, it was a team effort with him, he always helped out with the family and yeah he's still like that to this day sure sure that's really cool yeah no it's, i know it's something you've written about and yeah it's great encouragement for people out there so that's really cool well along those lines of growing up and everything too so talking about your adolescent years one of my favorite columns you've written and i know this is embarrassing but it was <laughs> about your incredibly awkward first day of middle school story um so First off, do you want to recount this real quick for listeners out there who maybe have not read this column? <laughs> okay, so I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, but 
it was my first day of middle school. And, you know, new school, um, new students, new teachers, new, new everything. And, of course, sure. there's the atmosphere of being a kid and wanting to be accepted and like in middle school. And then there was that added factor of I'm in a wheelchair. Oh, my God. Like, when people like me, all that stuff was always in my head. And so I, I didn't say it without laughing. Oh, it's okay. It's a hilarious story. But yeah. So I go to school and I just have this like vivid memory of being in the hallway, um, being in the hallway, going to my class, and the kids around me were saying, dude, it just smells so bad in this hallway right now. What <laughs> is that smell? And I didn't say anything of it. I was just like, oh, I don't smell anything. That's weird. I go to my class. Long story short, the principal, the principal pulls me out of my class and tells me that I smell really bad and that I have to go home. Come to find out, I was sprayed by a skunk on my way to the bus. What happened was my mother would open the back door to let me out to go to the bus. Sure. She would stay inside and she'd wave from the house. And I would go down my lamp and there was a skunk living under my lamp. <laughs> so, so I asked for my son. I did the whole thing with the tomato just bath and, you know, all that. We had to like hydrogen peroxide. My wheelchair, we got the stench out. It was a huge ordeal. I was obviously mortified. And then, so, ne- so now we don't know at this point how or why I got sprayed. So the next day, I seen things. My mom lets me out to go to the bus, and I got sprayed again. And I didn't know it. Same thing, go to school. My mom took the phone call from the principal saying her daughter smells. And I had to get sent home. Again, because I smelled bad. So then I passed. It was just it was a nightmare. It was. <laughs> and at that point, you were probably afraid of ever going down that ramp again, wondering if there was another skunk living under there. I distinctly remember the little guy crawling to me, set up one of those traps where, like, they actually have stump traps where it traps the animal, but it doesn't harm them in any way. So we set up one of those chaps that simply remember seeing the little guy walking into that trap and I was just like, <laughs> finally. So yeah, that is my first day of middle school. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it's like, I mean, uh, forgive me for laughing so hard as I mean, because it is like, okay. and I'm sure you're able to laugh at it now years later, but I think it's just like, it speaks so much to the universality of that stage in life and how awkward it can be. And, that's just good for anyone, but it it gives you. I'm, I commend you for writing that column because it speaks to okay, you like you know things can be awkward for any you know adolescent at that stage, but when you factor in SMA, it adds a whole nother layer there because it's like you know I mean that like that just having to go through the ordeal of getting your chair you know rid of the smell and everything. It's yeah, just it's such a, it's, oh yeah, it's like there are these nuances that people don't think about. So it makes it you know it 
a, a really interesting story, you know. I'm happy to report that I still made friends in middle school. It was all good. I was accepted. So it was sure. up at the beginning of the year. And you probably never expected that one day you would write that story and put it on the internet, you know? But, yeah. But it's like, I found that too, is like when I tell my crazy vacation stories or anything like that, it it's something people are fascinated about because it's just like, it, it, I mean, it's like sitcom scenarios. And it, like, right, I think it's good to um, make light of some situation. Oh, like, yeah. Nothing has to be serious all of the time, so. Right, right. And especially with the things you deal with as someone with SMA, it's like you have to have a lighthearted approach to, you know, things like that and just, you know, embrace the music as it comes, you know? Yes, right. That's great. Well, and um, transitioning a little bit, but still along those lines. So in terms of your transition to college, um, you know, you made through your adolescent years and everything, but what was your thought process like toward the end of high school, you know, where... Were you looking to live away from home or commute? What were some of your goals at that time? So at that point, I I didn't think living at college was an option. I mean, I this was going back now um, 12 years ago. So back then, I really wasn't involved in the disability community. And now that I am, and I see people just like me living on their own, and still making it work, I think I may have thought differently back then, if that makes sense. Like, sure, I sure. would have considered living at college, but um, back then it wasn't an option for me, so I decided to commute. Um, I also didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Sure. <laughs> um, so I remember I went to, I ended up going to, Bryant University, which is a business school in Smithfield. Um, and that was one of my options, obviously. I ended up choosing it, but I... Sorry, my dog is making so much noise. Oh, it's all good. No worries. Can you hear him? I, I a little bit, but oh. not bark. What's the dog's name? Vince. Vince? Yes. Nice, nice. Excited and needy. Hey, special guest out there, so welcome, <laughs> Vince. <Yeah. laughs> All right, then she's out of the cameo. Okay, so um, I I remember going to a college in the city. It was about 25 minutes away from my house. And I got to campus, and I really thought that was a school I was going to choose because for in-state tuition, it was really inexpensive. I didn't want loans or anything like that. Um, and I... Honestly, it was maybe on campus for 10 minutes, and I was like, nope, I'm not coming here. I'm going home. And the reason for that was the all the buildings on campus were so far away from each other. So having to go from building to building for classes, I was like, how could I ever do this in the winter time when it's five degrees outside and there's snow on the ground and you expect me to go from one building to another in 10 minutes to get to my class. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Accessibility wise, it was just kind of a nightmare. So in that moment, I didn't ever expect myself to go to business school, but Bryant's, their um, classes are actually 
all in one building. That's great. And, and that was really like one of my top reasons for going there. It was about it was eighteen minutes away from my house, which isn't too far. Mm. And all the classes were in one building, so I could just stay in there for several hours a day and then leave. And that was really those were the two main factors as to why I chose Bryant. But yeah. No, absolutely. It's a it's a major factor going in and also, was there any kind of disability services office at your university that helped with any kind of, you know, accessibility or testing accommodations? Um, yeah, so there was some. Um, but when I was in high school, middle school, when I was in the public school system, um, they hired assistants for me. Right, right. And now I went to a private university where they didn't do that. So my first semester of college, my mom actually took me and that was challenging, you know, because I didn't want yeah. to think that I was taking my mom needs a class with me. So I actually would call her by her first name. <laughs> and I, I just pretend like she was my assistant. Because we at the at that point we didn't know about um state services and PCAs and things like that. And I was actually seventeen when I started college. And you have to be 18 to get those services in Rhode Island. So it was just like okay, yeah. a tough transition. Um, but the campus did provide note takers because I can never keep up with note taking. Right. In class. And then they also gave me um, extra time on exams and things like that. Sure. Yeah, I had note takers as well. Like I, I wasn't able to get any kind of like, assistance from DSO there like to go around with me but no takers were extremely helpful and then yeah I, it was a similar thing for me too I didn't know how to go about the whole PCA process and it wasn't until about my uh, it was toward the end of my sophomore year when I started looking into that and um finally got on board and everything and so that helped tremendously but I was kind of like you too a little in the dark for a while there as well mm, I was lucky um to a point because my dad actually works for the state of Rhode Island. So he happened to just ask some friends, like, are there services that my daughter can definitely found out about PCAs? That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, connections are everything. But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's really funny, though, that you called your mom by her first name. To- and I was like, <laughs> 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 can you- hey, this is just my friend. Don't worry. You know, yeah. We're not related. So like, obviously, you know, I made friends that semester who stuck by me um, to that college. And then I would be like, yeah, that's actually my mom. It's <laughs> that's pretty great. Oh, that's funny. Well, and um, on that note, too, you know, about like your overall experience there. What were some of the highlights for you um, being in college? And also, like, how did it prepare you for things like your writing and your nonprofit. You know, you said you were in business school. So, like, was that something you stuck with, or how did all that go about? You know, I really, there wasn't like one clear trajectory of how it all went down. Um, yeah. I think business school was something that was just totally out of my comfort zone. I started college very shy and timid and almost unsure of myself. And I, I understand that those are the primitive views of when 
you're kind of more about who you are and what you want in life. But business school just kind of like threw you out of your comfort zone and expected you to succeed. So in that respect, I really learned the value of discipline and hard work, which I think transpired into running my nonprofit. Um, Everything from bookkeeping to delegating to managing your team doing University taught me that because it was basically just my classes were always group projects, managing and marketing and all things like that. So I took those tools and developed my nonprofit. Um, as far as my writing goes, I sort of just stumbled into that by accident. Sure. I actually really hated to write, like actually despised it. <laughs> And my friend started um, an organization on campus, and it was like an online magazine for college women, and I was just being nice to her because she seemed overwhelmed and kind of stressed out doing everything. And I said, I'll help you out. Let me write for you. Let me get some articles on our website. Just tell me what you need to do. And... I'll do it. So she gave me some writing tasks, and that was the first time I wrote and wasn't getting deleted on it, which, so in that respect, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. Maybe I do like to write, and, but it's, but it's not a part of my final grade, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I just, that was really the catalyst behind my writing career, I think. I'm trying to think of the timeline. I probably started my blog about six months later. Okay. Um, and I also had a professor my freshman year of college. She was my literary studies professor or something like that. And, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, she ran the school newspaper at night, and she begged me to join the newspaper team because she loved my writing, and I just thought she was crazy. I was like, <laughs> she doesn't like my writing. She feels bad for me because my writing is so bad. I never enjoyed <laughs> the newspaper. And to this day, I honestly, that is probably like my one regret of college is not joining the paper just because I lack self-confidence and... I didn't believe in what my professor was telling me. I remember you writing that story in the forums recently. Yes. Yep, I wrote about my time there, but but it's fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's not uncommon. I think it's like you said, it uh, it takes some time to kind of really discover what you're actually passionate about. It may be something you think you hate, you know. And I think it's a good message out there for listeners, you know, whether you're, I mean, people in the SMA community or not, just a good life lesson is like, you don't know what you're really going to enjoy or not until you try. And it's like writing for yourself or for about something you're passionate about is so different from like writing for a school assignment, you know? Yeah, so different. Yeah, it is. I hated it. I honestly, if you ever want to do a podcast with my brother, so he can just tell you, all the things about my writing. <laughs> Honestly, I in high school, sit with me 
to help me write a paper just to, to type for me so that I could take a break. And it would take me two hours to write one sentence. And then he would get so upset with me, he would end up writing my papers. <laughs> it was bad. Really bad. And hey, you never know. Sometimes it takes like time to really develop that skill. And again, understand that it's like where your passion is hidden, you know? So yeah, yeah. Really cool. well, and on that note too, going back for a minute to the nonprofit. So you mentioned a little bit about how business school kind of prepared you for the logistics of it. But can you talk about specifically the origins of working on walking, you know, where the name comes from and what, you know, your original purpose was for it and just, you know, all that, how it evolved and everything. Yeah. So, um, working on walking actually really began when I was eight years old. Um, I, I would, I would rally up the neighborhood kids to have lemonade stands. I don't know if you ever did that when you were a teen. Um, but we would make lemonade, really cheap, disgusting lemonade at that. And we would sell it for, I think, like 50 cents a top. And I, and then I would want to donate my earnings to QSMA. Um, so, that's really how it started. I just, I guess I just always had, I always had to drive so much to help people and make a difference in the SMA community. Um, so that's where it started. And then about a year later, I designed a card for my occupational therapist. She was with me that summer and she was leaving. So I kind of made her like a, Dubai call it that and basically saving her for her services that summer. And I I drew a dog and a cat and then I told it with colored pencils and I wrote thanks for always being there. And she opened the card and she said to me, Why don't you sell these? You can make a lot of money selling these and you just donate it to QSMA. At the time it was families. Of SMA, but it was that organization. Right, that's him already. Yeah. Yep. Um. So again, I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I guess. So then one day, she, my mom, and I were brainstorming, and my mom actually came up with was the album because we were trying to think of an acronym. Sure, sure. And she thought, was like, wow. Wow, exactly. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and that's how she came up with it. So then from there I just I designed cards. I literally had colored pencils and a black muffler, I think. And I just drew cards. Um uh, we had a local printer print and package, all of them. And then I did that oh gosh, I don't even know it was so long. Although I guess I did that for maybe like four or five years and we raised about fifty thousand dollars doing that which was way beyond my wildest dreams at i was nine years old at the time and my my dream was to raise a hundred dollars for sma so the fact that i went from 100 to fifty thousand was just it just blew my mind um so that was the early days of it um and then i you know i thought busy with school and college and everything else. And it wasn't until 
2014 that I decided to take that next step and file with IRS to become an official nonprofit. Um, by 2014, I had started hosting annual galas. Um, we started that in 2010. It was um, originally, actually, it was just me and my best friend's mother that started this venture. And so we've been doing this now for 11 years. Um, and we have a team of 25 people. We worked really hard to produce an event that happens every August, and that's really our main source of income. And as a, as a nonprofit now, I have a little more autonomy of how we can distribute our funds and grow as a business. So today, today we donate to QSMA Phil and also the SMA Clinic at Boston Children's Hospital. That's really cool. And I, I love that the evolution started at such a young age for you, you know, and then it grew into this big thing. So that's that's really awesome. And, you know, and we are running a little low on time, but I did want to get this story in there. So with your nonprofit, your work also caught the attention of the New England Patriots. And this was featured in a documentary um, on Super Bowl Sunday a couple years ago. Can you talk a little bit about this story? Yeah, so everything about this story is just amazing to me. It's just how it all kind of unfolded. It was almost kind of an accident. Um, my father and I had gone to training camp one day. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like in the summer before. Um, okay, before. yeah, the training before the season starts and all yeah. that. So yeah. they open it to the public. It's free. I had never been to a game before, and that always bumps me out because it's, I live in Rhode Island, so by October, it's freezing, and I can't stay outside in the cold. Right. So I, there was really only a small window of games I could go to, and they were always sold out by the time I tried to get tickets. So my dad took me to training camp because that was the closest I had ever got into a football game. And um, long story short, he pulls a random guy aside who was who was working, pulls a random guy aside and asks him if um, if he knew of a way that he could get me tickets to a game. And come to find out, we didn't know this at the time. He actually pulled aside the spokesperson for the team. His name is Stacy, um, and I, you know, we just started talking. I told Stacy about my blonde and my philanthropy that I do, and I don't know what made Stacy do this, but he really just took a liking to my dad and I, and he invited me to a game that year, which was so much fun. I sat in the press box. Um, instead of in the stands, which was kind of exciting. <laughs> it was really exciting. And um, and so that was how it all began. I didn't think much of it. I just thought Stacy was this really nice guy, and that was that. And then about a year later, um, I invited him 
as a death to my fundraiser. And that was really how the relationship started with him was that day. And he just, he, he's really been the catalyst behind everything that I've done with the Patriots. He has made me feel like I am a part of that family, which is so special. Um, and because of Stacey, I have gotten to know players, um, the owner of the team. I even befriended um, one of Stacey's co-workers, who today is one of my best friends. Like, they're just a very tight-knit community, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of that. Um, of course, I know that most of the country doesn't... <laughs> doesn't see the same Patriots that I see, and that's okay. I bet the fans and rivalries and everything else. But they just do so much for the community that isn't shown in the media, and they get a closer look at what the team does and their values and just their innate ability to spread kindness. I just, I'm really lucky to be a part of that. And I hope to someday emulate that. And I really just look up to them. That's really cool. Yeah, no. And well, fortunately, you're talking to someone who is incredibly neutral, because I don't really know anything about football. So it it works. But but, no, I mean, I remember watching that the short documentary they did on you. um, Was that in I want to say 2017, am I correct? Or 2018? It was 2018, yeah. 18, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it was just so cool to see that. I mean, like, and I mean, the fact that they were, you know, bringing light to the SMA community and everything, it was it was a really cool story, so. Yeah, they've awesome. really given me a platform to raise awareness about SMA and also just um, spread my message, and which has been awesome. I mean... I'm very lucky. That's awesome. They invited me to games. Um, they actually re-aired my story last year as a follow-up because they surprised me with a new van, which to Mr. Taft, the owner of the team, yeah, um, bought me a handicap accessible van. That's really awesome. Yeah. Year and a half ago, um, they're just like they've been way too kind. I'm undeserving of it all, but there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not grateful to have them in my life. Sure. No, it's just, and I encourage listeners out there, I mean, is the documentary still, like, on YouTube or something? Or can't be found anywhere no, online? I, it's such a bummer. Um, okay. there's, there's NFL copyright issues. So. Okay, yeah, 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 sure, sure. I'm right, I know. Sure. It's a shame, but... I but I'm sure there's I'm sure there's articles out there people can look up to but yeah but it yeah maybe one day it'll get released out there again. Yeah, I've been um, chatting with the producer. I think if they what happened was they added clips of football games into the documentary, so they can't post that online. So really, all they have to do is take those pieces out and we can post it. So. Hopefully, at some point, that'll happen, because I think it would be great to spread awareness about it. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And um, 
and like wrapping up here, so we don't have time to get through all the topics here. I know I, I was going to talk about Tenraza too, but you know, for listeners out there, you can read Alyssa's column. She's written plenty about that as well. Um, but I did want to go and kind of wrap up here and just Alyssa, if you could talk just a little bit about your daily life now, you know, with um, the nonprofit and the work you do here at SMA News today, what's kind of a typical day of the week look like for you? So um, I, I guess, you know, physically, I am completely dependent on other people's help. So I wake up in the morning, my mother does my, my morning routine, personal care, getting me ready, that whole shebang. And then I have assistance that usually comes for about five or six hours during the day and um, PCAs. And I utilize that time to go out, run errands, um, go out for coffee, because it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, and then, you know, do house chores and um, make dinner, make lunch, breakfast, all that stuff to give my mother a break during the day. And then once they leave is actually when I do all my work. Um, so, so after they leave, I I actually do all of my work on my phone. Um, and I have an app. It's like a mouse app that connects to my laptop. So everything is done on my phone, but it connects to my laptop. So writing, non-profiting, blogging, everything is done. Yeah. Be laying down on the couch and on my phone. And that's pretty much it. I, I, I help moderate the SMA forums every day. I try to write, I try to write my columns in batches because living with SMA, I just know that like, I need to expect the unexpected. Meaning like, I can be fine today and I can wake up sick tomorrow and miss my column. Yeah. So I do things even if I'm ahead of the game, I try to do things in batches when I'm feeling good because that's not always the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are a lot of days where I don't get much for the sun because my, my pain is so bad or I'm just so physically exhausted that I can't think straight and you, you know the deal. It's oh just, yeah, absolutely. It's there's a- always something, so I really just, every day is different, but on my good days, I really just try to get as much work done as possible because I know this might not be the same way tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and I love that you mentioned the, the phone thing because like I remember that column as well. You wrote about it and it's amazing mm-hmm. the technologies today that, you know, make it accessible for people like us who, you know, barely have control of our fingers, you know? I mean, that makes it so much easier to so that we can still be independent and productive. And yeah, that's great. It really made all the difference because I was using um, the on-screen keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laptop and to individually type out each letter just took me forever. But now that yeah. I have my phone, I can type so much more faster. I'm more comfortable rather than sitting up. It's yeah. Just, yeah, it's made a bit different. No, that's great. Well, and right before we close out, do you just have any word of advice out there for listeners, whether it's people with SMA or in the community, or even if it's someone, 
you know, who is not in the SMA community happens to be listening to this podcast, welcome. But um, but do you have any advice for our listeners out there, Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know that one second, <clears throat> like, I just lost my voice. No worries, no worries. I right, take your minute if you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. By the way, for our listeners out there, if we heard any like siren noise in the background, my apologies. I record these from my home office, and I live down the street from an EMS station, so that I, I hear ambulances pretty regularly. So. <laughs> well, I typically I just lost my voice. Is okay. it, are you gonna be okay too, or do you like you just wanna call it? No, here it is. It's bad. Okay, no worries. Oh yeah. No worries at all. Hey, this is like, I mean, it makes it more authentic for an SMA podcast. These are like the things we deal with all the time. So it it's all good. Okay, I think I'm back. Nice. Yep, I'm back. Um, okay, advice. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that could apply to both SMA people and people without SMA. Um, or even it's just with SMA people, that's fine too. Whatever you want to do. I mean, I guess there's a lot of advice. Yeah, sure. Okay, but I, you know, um, right now I guess I'll say a piece of advice that I'm trying to work through myself, and that is, you're really not a product of what has happened to you, but rather how you respond to it. And this is kind of like a tough pill for me to swallow sometimes because a lot of hard things have happened in my life and sometimes that gets me down and I guess that's kind of how I've been feeling lately um but then I have to remember that in hindsight how I respond to it is going to make all of the difference and I think living with SMA that's a really important distinction to me um because whether we want it to or not bad things happen um illness pain everything else there's always something that's going to be coming wrong and how you choose to react to it is going to make all of the difference um i think this kind of has to do a lot with perspective mm-hmm. and just really remembering to have perspective in your daily life and know that you you can change the situation by changing your attitude and i think that's What's going to make all the difference? That's great. No, I think that sums it up perfectly, and it's a, and it, it speaks to both, you know, audiences, like you said. So that that's great. Ah, uh, well, Alyssa, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story. This has been a fantastic discussion here. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, absolutely, and I'm sure we'll definitely have you on again on one of our roundtable discussions or anything else. So. Um, you know, for our listeners out there, you can, you know, hear more of Alyssa's story by reading her bi-weekly column, Life One Cup at a Time. Uh, you can also connect with her directly on our forums. And she is also on Instagram, at Alyssa K. Silva. And she has way more followers than I will ever have. So, you know, you can add to that. Um, but uh, for our listeners out there, you can also hear more stories like this by subscribing to the SMA News Today podcast. You can also connect with us directly on our forums, as I said. And follow our main website at www.smanewstoday.com for all the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease.
Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com. And be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.